News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers. The city. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, here with Harry Siegel. Good morning, Harry Siegel. Morning. And in just a minute, we're going to be joined by Christine Quinn, the former city council speaker and mayoral candidate, who's now the leader of WIN, the largest provider of family shelter and supportive housing in New York City, and Bishop Matthew Hayes of the Episcopal Diocese of New York. Both are a part of a new group called NYSANE, which also includes 1199, SEIU, Legal Aid, and the Community Society that's pressing Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul to abide by five principles in responding to the city's migrant crisis, including not eroding the city's longstanding right to shelter, making sure families are always in placements with locking rooms, pressing the governor for a plan to move some migrants from the city to elsewhere in the state, and acknowledging that, quote, the only real answer to homelessness is housing, end quote. So thank you both for joining us. Let's jump right in. Uh, Speaker, I'm hoping you can kick us off by explaining why this group, the name is an acronym for Shelter for All, Indeed Equally, is forming now, and why this is more than closing the barn door after the horse has already bolted, given that the Adams administration has announced new families arriving here are going to be sent to what is euphemistically calling a semi-congregate setting inside a tent of Floyd Bennett Field in southern Brooklyn, and there are already 60-day eviction notices that are on their way out to families here in shelters, all, all which seems like uh, this is past the right as it's been established up till now. So all of the reasons you just outlined and others are why we need this coalition. We need this coalition to send a message to Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul and to President Biden that New York City wants new arrivals, asylum seekers treated fairly, that we want New York, as it has done so many times before historically, to open up its arms and embrace these new arrivals so they can get housing, get jobs, become big productive parts of New York City. And the steps that the mayor and now the governor are taking are not thoughtful. They're not empathetic. You know, the mayor and the governor seem to think if you wave a wand and say no more right to shelter, which has been the uh, law of the land, so to speak, for 40 plus years, that all of a sudden the homeless people, new arrivals and others will go away. You know what happens when you eliminate a right to shelter? Do you know what a city looks like? San Francisco. And San Francisco is criticized across the board as just being a place where there are people right and left living on the street. We wanted to send a message that it isn't just advocates for the homeless like myself who are concerned. It isn't just the Coalition for the Homeless. It's a broad base of religious leaders, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, that it's labor leaders, that it's civic leaders like the great David Jones and the Community Service Society. You know, people think and elected officials think that they can just disregard the homeless. They think they don't matter. They don't count. They think they don't vote. And our message was, no, we are not going to let you disregard homeless people, ones who have been here a long time or ones who are new arrivals. And we have principles and ideas that, if put in place, will help deal with this big challenge. I don't envy the mayor, but it can be addressed. So, as you're both aware, 
polling shows that New Yorkers, Siena in August, um, city voters, 58% say New Yorkers have already gone enough for new migrants and should work to slow the flow of migrants to New York. Just 38% said New Yorkers should accept new migrants and work to assimilate them into New York. Remarkably, that poll also showed that uh, the state was split at this point because I'm sure what's happening now about whether migrants resettling in New York over the last two decades has been a burden, 44%. That was more than a benefit, 39%. Um, what are these New Yorkers missing about this moral case? And how can that, uh, what can happen to shift that at this point? Well, it's undoubtedly true that we're in the middle of a crisis. The question is, how do we respond? And right now, we're not responding well. We're not responding compassionately. We're not drawing together leaders across sectors. And that's exactly what's needed to um, move through what's happening now to make sure that migrants and, and other folks who are were unhoused before the crisis started find a place in New York. The administration will acknowledge this, that there needs to be a broader coalition of leaders across sectors to handle this well. And that's exactly what we mean to do. Most of us are from other places, other parts of the country, other parts of the planet. That is the history of our city and our state. What's happening now, this asylum seekers crisis, is changing the fabric of both city and state. We have to step forward as a whole coalition, as a whole city, as a whole region to make sure this goes well. That's exactly what we're saying. You know, I, I know the, the bishop is totally right. And, and I know politicians, I was one, uh, look at polls. There's no doubt. But at the end of the day, you know, polls are a snapshot of one moment in time. I don't believe they ever really convey people's deep uh, feelings or beliefs. And if New Yorkers saw a plan in place, if New Yorkers saw that we were going to get out of welfare hotels, which cost an exorbitant $383 a night, and we were going to move more new arrivals and other homeless people into permanent housing, which can cost as little as $72 a night, they might feel differently. Right now, given some of the rhetoric from the mayor and the governor, they may feel like, you know, it's a sinking ship, but that doesn't have to be the case at all. Right. So I think that that's a key piece, right? I think New Yorkers want to see a plan. Thus far, we talk a lot on this podcast about the mayor has a lot of uh, rhetoric, but is there an organization in place in his administration? But to be very honest, you know, whether the polls... The polls are the polls. We know that they're right. not always accurate. You all are clearly on the right side of history, but we have to be honest about a lot of New Yorkers and shout out to the Tenement Museum. They do great work. We're a nation of immigrants. We're a city of immigrants. We get it. But a lot of New Yorkers agree with you all in theory and they love what you're saying. But when the rubber hits the road and migrant and unhoused families are coming into their communities and their schools, and they have to see it uh, on a more frequent basis, this is where we're getting a lot of New Yorkers who may think that the mayor's, you know, bombastic and, oh, how dare he? Let's clutch these pearls. But we run into the NIMBY issue time and time again, where Eric Adams seems to have the upper hand on the political side because he sort of knows 
the limitations of New Yorkers' generosity and, and uh, sort of equity, if you will. So where do we go from there? How do we solve that? What we see is um, faith institutions, neighborhood nonprofits are responding every single day to what's happening. What they need is more coordination and more support. So undoubtedly, neighborhoods are stretched by this current um, inflow and neighborhoods are responding. They're not getting the help they need. And that's exactly what we're saying. You know, I, I, I also think anytime, in my experience, anytime you propose a homeless shelter, people are against it. The worst things are going to happen. Crime and property values are going to go down. Although any neighborhood we've opened a shelter in, in my time at Wynn, property values have not gone down and crime has not gone up. But there's fear, there's propaganda. And then when the shelter finally opens, it's no big deal. Like, shockingly, the sun rises. Before the pandemic, I was at a a town hall meeting in Staten Island about our new shelter there. Oh, my God. Like, I practically had to be walked out by police. It was crazy. It was hours and hours. Um, Only someone like me thinks it's fun. But it was, you know, a great sociology lesson. I went back two weeks ago. We had prepped. We had materials. We had a PowerPoint. People had, like, three questions. Right. So there's fear. And if you stoke the fear, then it gets worse. And if you go in again with a plan, people will come to see it's not that big a deal. Right. But we know this mayor is very good at stoking fear when when needed. And P.S. Just uh, Madam Speaker, you said something about San Francisco. And I implore all of our listeners to read this week's New Yorker that has a great piece about San Francisco. And I think it's entitled something like what happened to San Francisco. Right. That's exactly what you're talking about. Um, so for our listeners who I think it's on a lot of their minds because they see there's, you know, I was getting my hair trimmed yesterday and my hairdresser was like, what's going on with the, I mean, she knows I do politics stuff. What's going on with the migrants? Like, why do I see them? Like, where are they going? You know, people have questions. So What's a resource for people to actually educate themselves since they they see it, they feel it, they hear things from the mayor, right. but they don't necessarily know what you all are doing, what so many other groups are doing. And just quick shout out to Troop 6000. If you all are looking to support organizations at the end of the year, please consider supporting. That's our unhoused Girl Scout troop that does amazing work. We have those uh, some troops that win, <clears throat> win so yes. I would echo that. Well, people should first go to the SANE website which is is coming online, which is going to have all of that kind of information. There's also great information at the New York Immigration Coalition website uh, and the Coalition for the Homeless, homeless who's the litigant in the, uh, the case around the right to shelter. And we had a, a step forward in that last week. The judge could have granted the mayor his desire of eliminating it, but instead he sent them into, I don't know if it's formal mediation, but mediation of sorts to try to come to an agreement. And I think that's a positive step that I think was really uh, smart of the, the, the judge. I would just note in relation to that, it was the mayor who sued, not legal aid, on behalf right. of the coalition, which says something about how this has played out to this point. And we have this right to shelter that was established largely through the courts and uh, consent decrees that he now says needs to be temporarily suspended because of the migrants, even though, as we started it, he is already just not heeding 
the provisions of it that, that he's finding right. most, most difficult to fulfill without needing the courts to intervene. But this is not something New Yorkers have ever voted on. Like, like uh, to have this level of complicated generosity, because the shelter system, I think we can all agree, has its severe limitations as a, compared to permanent housing. But I'm hoping that you can speak to where we're at vis-a-vis the right to shelter and what could sort of end this complicated trap where, where these are, especially for single men, but all around the board and, and including in family shelters, like necessarily very uh, difficult conditions. One of the things that we hear from local communities, not the scale and size and complexity of what WIN's doing, but trying to provide some respite, some support, is the bureaucratic barriers raised by the city of Newark are so high they cannot respond as they want. And that's one of the points of conversation with the administration. So what we see is is, as complicated as exactly right what you said. We see that um, every day as the shelter system is. There are more people want to help. They're just not able to. And so part of our conversation is about broadening out even the neighborhood um, work that can happen on behalf of both asylum seekers and and people who were in house before. We recognize there was a crisis before this crisis started, a housing crisis in New York, and it's to be handled at all levels. The shelters are very expensive, as you were mentioning, but uh, affordable housing, the upfront investment is very expensive and that's why the, the long term is constantly getting pushed off and like let's just uh pay our way through this for another minute if we can but it turns out what's happening now is, is very expensive too right uh right this there's no question look it all costs money right there's no question but and, and that's just life and you have to accept that so do the other services that are critical you know to the city of new york but What we do know for a fact is that shelters and then welfare hotels cost the most. We at Wynn did a study with the New York Immigration Coalition that said if the city would move and allow undocumented people to have vouchers, it could save $3 billion. Now, I don't think people want, I don't think the the mayor has wanted to go there because it's a question of what do you give undocumented people. But at the end of the day, what we need to be giving people is a quality place to live. And if you can do that and save $3 billion, you know, all the better. Last year, there was quite the conversation um, about housing in Albany, but it never led anywhere. We simply can't continue to have those kind of uh, conversations and allow them to not live anywhere. But one thing, you know, I, I talk a lot about vouchers. The end of the de Blasio administration, Wynn was able to get legislation passed that raised the amount of the voucher from $1,500 to $2,200, which opened up 36 neighborhoods as affordable. That following year, the length of stay in Wynn went down from 15 months to 11 months. So we know these work and are cheaper, but it's about having a, a will and a commitment to get this done. And that starts with a plan. It doesn't start with saying that these asylum seekers are going to, I forget the mayor word the mayor used, but in essence, destroy us. Because first of all, I'm a New Yorker. Nothing destroys us. We've sustained and survived much more than this. But if that's your attitude, you're never going to come up with the kind of plan that 
you you need. And when you have all kinds of religious leaders, labor leaders, civic leaders, we have resources that we can harness to get more affordable housing put in place. Because there's no question that it's needed. And I really think the real estate community would go to Albany and support that, you know, as well. Just a couple other questions here. Uh, Mayor Adams and his advisors at a few points have suggested that providing even the level of shelter and services we have to this point to migrants has taken away from what we can be doing to uh, New Yorkers in need. I was hoping you, you two could uh, speak on that and, and what might be wrong with that uh, framing. Well, I, I want to say two things. One, first of all, you said before, you know, this is about single men. Make no mistake, it's a slippery slope. It's about single men today. Tomorrow it'll be about single women. And the day after that, it'll be about children with families. And we're talking about these semi-private pods of Floyd Bennett Field. A semi-private pod is like being a little bit pregnant. It doesn't work. That's congregate and it's not where children should be. It's not safe, you know, period. Pitting New Yorkers against each other. And now that these asylum seekers are here, they're New Yorkers. Who gets to define? Is it 20 years? Is it 20 months? Is it 20 days? They're New Yorkers now. We cannot have effective leadership if we pit New Yorkers of different types against each other. We just can't. It's not what got us through our darkest days, and it won't get us through this. So let me just shift gears really quickly because... This is, you know, it's it's emotions, it's politics, it's people's lives, it's people's money. Um, P.S. Harry, the title of this episode obviously has to be, there's no such thing as a little bit pregnant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so we, we definitely heard some complaints that, you know, certain New Yorkers think that this mayor is right of center and doesn't necessarily represent the values of New Yorkers at least on paper, the values of New Yorkers, which is inclusion and equity and all the things that have sustained this city over hundreds of years with the influx of immigrants and migrants coming from either the South or countries uh, all over the globe. So what what do you think 2025 looks like? You know, is this going to be an issue that hamstrings the mayor? And what type, you know, I'm asking you this, <laughs> there's, there's a subtext to this question. You know that there there's a yearning from some people to to have the mayor primary just because they believe in healthy and robust elections. What does that look like for a potential primary challenger, knowing the constraints of voters who believe in these things in theory, but may not have a plan that you know is fully in place? Where's the money coming from? We we do know that the mayor consistently has to go to D.C. with his tin can and is beholden to Albany. These are the constraints of cities all across the country. So what is what does 2025 look like in a political sphere for a mayor that is reticent to include these new these new New Yorkers, as you call them, um, and move us forward collectively? Well, I think that's clearly a question for the bishop. Um, well, I can't speak to the politics. I can't speak to the moral fabric mm -hmm. of who we are as New York. And the coalition hopes to be able to share a message, which I think is the heart of New York, which is about being an expansive city that works well together 
and plans together for our future across all our sectors. And and the, the speaker has described the people coming together with this. We've had an enthusiastic response to what this can be and what our city can be. And hopefully the moral fabric influences the political dialogue. But we'll focus on the moral first. Okay. And then let's dabble in the political. Right. On, the, on the 2025 question, um, mm-hmm. you know, look, in a lot of ways, I hope the mayor doesn't have a primary so he can focus exclusively on governing. But, you know, only time will answer that question. I think 2024 is going to inform 2025 a lot. Because mm-hmm. let's assume that President Biden isn't doing all that he should do because he's running for re-election. Right. And he's afraid of being seen as too liberal. I don't know that, but I'm just, you know, having been around these, that's I believe that. And I believe that there'll be a lot more that we can get from the White House after the election. So if the mayor can deliver on that, that may change people's perspectives. Uh, But. Look, there's certainly been stories in the paper about people searching for a candidate. I've said I'm not running uh, uh, against Mayor uh, Adams, and that stands. But I, I, I do hope, I wish, and I know this is naive and I'm not naive, but I wish a little bit of the election stuff could get removed from this because I think uh, we all will be judged by how the city did. And I think this is a big thing that the mayor and the governor will be judged by. And right now, you know, they're just not focusing on the right things. They're focusing too much on politics. But again, post-federal election, when Joe Biden gets elected, God willing, say a prayer bishop, then he maybe the mayor can really bring a lot of the money he says we're owed, which we are. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So closing question here. Uh, Mayor Adams, we back in June announced that uh, 50 houses of worship, you know, churches, synagogues, mosques, were going to start taking in some migrants, no matter what faith you practice, caring for those indeed is part of every spiritual tradition, he said. So for both of you, but maybe starting with the uh with the bishop, what does the faith-based community, and of course the Episcopalians in particular, need from the city that hasn't been happening? And what, what do people who want to contribute uh, from, from a starting point of faith or elsewhere need to know if they haven't quite figured out how to do that yet? And I think those people are out there, and they're maybe giving $2 to, uh, to a candy seller. They're thinking about this, but they haven't fully committed themselves. Those people are out there, and our faith communities have enthusiastically tried to step forward, and two things, well, three things have happened. First, that the the barriers to even these 50 have been significant. And so folks have tried, and they're having trouble. So there's not been a lack of response, but there's been a lack of connection, and we think that can improve. Is that about like fire safety? Can you say a little bit about what those barriers are? It's fire safety and sprinklers. Is mm-hmm. one of the major questions right. for for those who have the capacity to respond. There are also smaller faith communities that want to do something but can't do this, and and that number is much larger than the fifty. And the third is exactly what you said: all of us can respond in some way. And so we've asked to be part of what's happening at the intake centers at the Roosevelt Hotel and other places, just for a first meal, for a first coat, some way in which people find solid ground when they reach our city. And so I think 
what you said is 100% right. Everyone can do something and we want to try and want to have conversation and connection where we're more able to try than the barriers have allowed us to so far. And, you know, I would, would add two things. One, everyone can do something. And if you put a dollar in a box, it changes the way you interact with this crisis. You're part of the solution, just as much as if you write win a million dollar check. Now, the bishop uh, mentioned coats and things like that. Please go to Wynn's website, W-I-N-N-Y-C, two N's, dot org. We're doing a Coke drive. We still have about 2,000 more coats we need to get. We only take new. Please do that. And, you know, for me, as someone who grew up uh, uh, Catholic and went to 12 years of Catholic school, all of my work at Wynn is really guided by my personal spiritual and religious perspective. My late mother was a great devotee of the Beatitudes, and they've always led my work. And I think about those all the time. And I'm just so proud to be able to stand with religious leaders, knowing that that's kind of part of my spine in in all of this work. And I know we're going to be more successful because of all of the religious leaders that we have with us. Well, I mean, we haven't gotten the Catholics yet, but we will. Okay, I was about to say, come on, Jesuits. I know, exactly. <laughs> Bishop, I, I teach at Fordham. Yeah. So right. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Jesuits, yeah. let's step it up. There um, are guys. Uh, Madam Seeker, you said something really briefly about the coat drive, though. You said new coats only. Yeah, we, only, we don't have really okay. have, and I'm not disparaging of views, but we don't really have the capacity to sort through them all, right. dry clean them all. And also, we think people deserve new if okay. we can get it. Right. Okay. Just as a point of clarification, because I think a lot of people, when they think of coat drives, you know, I'm always encouraging people, clean out your closets, you know, take things to the dry cleaner and drop them off. Places like Housing Works have the Mm -hmm. capacity to do that. We just don't have it at win. And if you can't afford a coat, buy some athletic socks or or wool socks. Everything, because think of these new Americans, they have nothing but like the t-shirt and the flip-flops on their feet. So that's one of the challenges for groups like Win is we're having to provide everything. Well, I mean, the great thing about our listeners is, you know, one, they're great New Yorkers. That's why they're listening to this podcast. But I've been working on this theory about political tithing. So mm-hmm, not just, you know, mm-hmm. donating to candidates and organizations to help move our democracy forward. But our listeners can think of this as a form of political tithing if they're not interested in religious tithing. Right. Or they can think of it as a form of religious tithing if they're not into political tithing. So exactly. it's a win. Hey, it's a win. It's a win win. There we go. All right, Harry, take us home. Speaker Quinn, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin our, our nice tight closing and, and and just one more question I've been meaning to ask. Um one of the critiques I've heard, or one of the concerns I've heard from from City Hall and elsewhere is that you have a lot of families who've been here who came a year ago who are staying in hotel rooms in Manhattan, often where there are uh, there are men, husbands, who have gone elsewhere and are working, and this becomes a chance for people to save money, very understandably, oh, um, and, and build a stake. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted your response to that because it's something that, that people keep saying to me. It's ridiculous. First of all, these hotels, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are dumps, Mm -hmm. right? So who would want to stay there? Two, 
In any of these facilities, you have curfews, you have restrictions, you couldn't have your husband up to the room, you know, things like that. So, no. And that's just a version of the people are coming here to get housing, people go into shelter for housing, that kind of red herring that they always throw around. Trust me, Wynn runs some fabulous shelters. No one wants to stay there. Speaker. Bishop, thank you both for uh, taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all. Just try not to be a little bit pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That's the goal of the week. Support new New Yorkers. There you go. Yay. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We also receive support from P&T Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. We're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com and are affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where I am one of the Moynihan Public Scholars inaugural fellows. Our hosts for this episode were me, Christina Greer, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara, and a special thank you to Christine Quinn of Wynn and Bishop Matthew Hayes of the Episcopal Diocese of New York. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be cool, be kind, be warm. And we'll be back soon with more.